ಸಹನಾವತು ಸಹನೌ ಭುನಕ್ತು ಸಹ ವೀರ್ಯಂಕರವಾವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಾವಿದ್ವಿಷಾವಹೈ ಓಂ ಶಾಂತಶಾಂತಶಾಂತಿ ಗುರುರ್ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ಗುರುರ್ವಿಷ್ಣು ಗುರುರ್ದೇವೋ ಮಹೇಶ್ವರ ಗುರುರೇವ ಪರಂ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ತಸ್ಮೈ ಶ್ರೀಗುರವೇ ನಮಃ ತಸ್ಮೈ ಶ್ರೀಗುರವೇ ನಮಃ we started with this vishnu sahasranama <clears throat> last month we saw through the introduction of it and the first two shlokas of vishnu sahasranama vishvam vishnur vashatkaro bhuta bhavya bhavat prabhu ಭೂತಕೃತ್ ಭೂತವೃದ್ಭಾವೋ ಭೂತಾತ್ಮ ಭೂತಭಾವನ ಡೋಂಟ್ ಎನ್ಕರೇಜ್ ಇಟ್ ಭೂತಾತ್ಮ ಪರಮಾತ್ಮ ಚ ಮುಕ್ತಾಗತಿ ರೆಡ್ಯೂಸ್ ಇಟ್ ಲಿಟಲ್ ಮೋರ್ ಅವ್ಯಯ ಪುರುಷ ಸಾಕ್ಷಿ ಕ್ಷೇತ್ರಜ್ಞೋಕ್ಷರ ಸೋ ಫಾರ್ ವಿ ಹವ್ ಸೀನ್ ದೀಸ್ ಟು ಶ್ಲೋಕಸ್ as gurudev puts it very beautifully <clears throat> these thousand names are called the thousand methods to the transcendental thousand methods to meditate on to the transcendental so when this thousand names are chanted it is not to rush through these thousand names of the lord but to understand each word its meaning and the depth behind each one of these words the pradhana vakta or the main speaker here is our bhishma maharaj and the questions were asked by yudhishthira thus they were speaking is captured by vyasa ji and it was written by his assistant lord ganesha 
now we proceed further with the next shloka to understand the different beautiful names of the lord yogo yoga vidam neta repeat after me yogo yoga vidam neta yogo yoga vidam neta pradhana purusheshwaraha pradhana purusheshwaraha narasimhavapushriman keshavah purushottamah yogo yoga vidam neta pradhana purusheshwaraha narasimhavapushriman keshavah purushottamah yogo yoga vidam neta one of the names of the lord is yogaha yogaha as in bhagavad gita it very beautifully suggests in the second chapter the definition of yoga is given it reveals a very beautiful aspect it talks about samatvam yoga uchyate that one who is in the constant equipoise is known to be in yoga this equipoise of ours is constantly either disturbed or we get distracted is it even possible for us to have this constant equipoise wherein in spite of the situations around us to maintain that equipoise the lord he has got various responsibilities what are the responsibilities srishti karta as the creator as the sustainer and as to bring in a change in this universe by remodeling the entire universe or the destruction aspect of it now when we maintain one house one cubicle probably if you are working and that seems to be overwhelming that it can get to our nerves that it can unnerve us at any time a little up and down and we feel completely devastated and the explanation or the name given for the lord as he is recognized he is called yoga yoga meaning in spite of creation in spite of sustenance in spite of bringing in change in this universe he is in constant yoga constant equipoise now one may ask there are so many things in this world which do not seem to be agitated or disturbed or distracted by the presence of something or absence of something and we call them as a vegetative state like this lectern that is here 
it doesn't get impacted by the words that I speak. It doesn't get impacted by anybody's presence in front of it or the absence of them. So, can we say that this is an equipoise? Somebody in a vegetative state, can we call them in an equipoise? Equipoise is that stage which is entirely different from the vegetative state or a inert stage. Like somebody introduced their child. She opened the door and the child was sleeping. Somebody meet my angel only when he is sleeping. Because the moment he wakes up, he is a mini tornado. The entire house is repaired, ripped apart. Everything is on the floor. But he is an angel as long as he is sleeping. The, he is in balance and everything around him is in balance as long as he is asleep. Can we call that as an equipoise? Getting to equipoise, as Adi Shankaracharya puts it very beautifully here, he says, Jnanendriyani sarvani nigrihya manasasaha ekatva bhavana yogaha. Jnanendriyani sarvani nigrihya manasasaha. We have five organs of perception, five organs of knowledge eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and the skin through which we see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. These five are the Jnanendriyas. Jnanendriyani Sarvani. All these five organs of perception. Manasasaha Nigrahya. Manasasaha. With the mind having absolute control and stability on these five organs of perception. Because the distractions come through these five inputs. As I often refer to these organs of perception and action as the input and output devices to the central processing unit, the CPU. The five organs of perception are the ones which bring the information, the data from outside world. And the organs of action, after having processed the data, we run into the world and do various things, interact with them. So, when the information comes inside, is it being processed or is it creating agitations and distractions? How are we handling that processing? Ideally, it would be good if we are in an environment wherein we are not distracted by anything to see, anything to hear, anything to smell, taste, touch. Ideally, it would be great. But then you are not leading a life. You are in an isolated, quarantined spot wherein you have absolutely nothing to interact with. To be in such equipoise is a danger because you have been withdrawn by from the environment forcefully and the moment you are again reintroduced to the environment you just pounce on that environment you have not had an experience with the world it happens say you were working on a project 
or you are working on something very intense that you did not bother about anything, sleep, food, entertainment. After that project is done, what do we say? I need a break so that I can go out and then indulge in all those things which I had been restricted to indulge in. And that's what we do in vacations, right? Go ballistic. So when you when you withdraw from the world in force, by compelled to withdraw, the moment that compelling force is removed, we pounce back into the world. But here, the balance which is talked about is not in the absence of the world, but it is in spite of the world around us. There may be sounds that distract, but to be not distracted by that sound. There may be lot of things to see, but to stay focused. See, that was the test that Arjuna was given. Rather, all the Pandavas and Kauravas and the other great warriors who were enrolled in Drona's school. The first time archery was to be introduced, he put a small test. We are all, we know that story. He said, there is that bird that I have put on the device which looked like a bird. He put it on the branch. And he said, please, shoot the eye of that bird. So, everybody comes forward, steps forward. And uh, he says, take an aim. Everybody takes an aim. And he asks before they shoot, what do you see? The first one says, that I see the beautiful sky, I see the beautiful you know, green forest, I see the tree in the forefront of that forest, I see the bird also. He starts describing the entire nature in front of him. He says, you may step down. He calls the next one. And it's as though like a competition. Rest of them start describing it with further more details about the entire nature that they see. Almost like they have become a instant poets. In a poetic way they are describing the entire nature. It was only Arjuna when he stepped in and when he was asked, What do you see? He said, I see the eye of the bird. What else do you see? I say, I see nothing else. Are you sure you see nothing else? He says, I am very positive. I see only the eye of the bird. I said, then you may shoot. Though there were everything around him, all that he focused on was on the target. Without being distracted by anything around. That focus when we have through five organs of perception and action. That balance that you can maintain, one can maintain through the interactions. 
wherever the eye or the ear or whatever has to be applied, we focus on it to maintain that balance within. That balance is called Yogaha. And Paramatma is always in that Yoga, always in that perfect balance. In spite of the world, he is not distracted or disturbed. But yet he supports the entire world of being and things. Yogaha. Yoga Viduhu. Yoga Viduhu. The one who is not just being in that balance, but also knows the method to be in that balance. And the one who gives to the entire humanity through the scriptures, through the Vedas, as to how to reach to that balance. So, in net result, what is Veda? A technique, a book, which talks about how to maintain that balance, how to maintain that, many people when they talk about, Swamiji, talk about, you know, when I go to the universities and other places, I don't suddenly start speaking on Bhagavad Gita or Vishnu Sahasranam. So the topic that they would require is, you know, art of focus or stress-free life. And the funny thing is, those who organize the seminar on stress-free life, until the program is over, they are under heavy stress. Just to see that the program is successfully launched and continued. The first thing I tell them is that it's a myth to say that there is something called stress-free life. There is only one condition that there will be stress-free when, when you quit living in this body. When you leave this body, the rest of them around you are in stress. You are no more there. Hence, therefore, there is no stress. There is nothing called stress-free life. Yes, what can be taught is stress management. But not being free from stress. In fact, the entire environment lives in stress. But that optimal stress wherein there is the positive productivity in it. Let's take a couple of examples. Human body, does it have any pressures? It has. It is called the high blood pressure and the low blood pressure. There is a blood pressure. What will happen if the blood doesn't have any pressure? It will be a dead carcass. The blood has to be in certain pressure. What is the optimal pressure that it has to be in? 120 by 80. Average. It again varies according to the height, according to the age, according to the body mass index and various other factors. But on average, the optimum level is 120 by 80. What happens when it goes a little up? It's called hypertension. 
it's not a balanced environment what happens if it goes low so you start getting you know your head spins you feel something's you know in your stomach you know you don't feel normal everything has to be in that balance it is not free from stress but within that stress to maintain that balance i'm sure you have driven in your car and come here the tires have certain pressure what do they call it dpsi psi what does psi stand for pounds per square inch usually on average how much is it 32 to 36 depending on the weight of the vehicle what happens if your vehicle is supposed to be in 32 and you have pumped in 34 or 35 as you drive through the roads actually being in texas we have been spoiled every neighborhood has got paved roads and uh, almost 3 4 lanes even in a local neighborhood you go beyond this state first off is that the state highways or the national highways merge into one lane on either side and sometimes they are not maintained when you are driving through and if your pressure is high every bump on the road will be amplified directly into your bones you can feel it and what happens if the pressure is less your your vehicle starts wobbling your vehicle starts moving in a funny way there are many people who will keep driving it in spite of uh, you know that wobbling nature especially on the freeways when i see somebody's pressure really low and it's wobbling i take the farthest lane from them no chance no risk because the vehicle is not under control and what is the best smooth way to enjoy that ride only when the pressure is optimum as prescribed for that so in order to maintain that balance the one who is in that balance and also knows how to be in that balance is the one who gives this knowledge across yoga vidam yogam vindati vicharayanti jananti labhante itiva yoga vidaha he knows how to be in it he knows how to stay in that balance and he knows how to give that technique to everybody and he has already given it in the form of our vedic scriptures yoga vidah yogo yoga vidam neta neta in today's world we 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 could translate it as a leader there was this one uh, young six seventh grader and we had a camp for a spiritual retreat for middle schoolers and he was a live wire and he had this amazing capacity to spin uh, 
beautiful poetry in any circumstances and his ordinary speaking was in poetry we were talking about you know leadership qualities and he comes out with this beautiful definition of neta and his free easy flow was in hindi so he ended up saying neta wo आजकल के हमारे नेता नेता वो जो प्लस लेता माइनस देता आज के हमारे नेता द वर्ड नेता और द लीडर हैज बीन टोटली चेंज्ड इट्स ऑलमोस्ट इक्विवेलेंट टू द पॉलिटिकल और पॉलिटिशियन the one who knows how to squeeze the best out of every situation and make lot of profit for himself or herself but does not contribute positively here neta is very beautifully defined neta gnyaninam yogakshema vahadinam <coughs> yogavidancha neta तेषाम नित्याभियुक्तानाम योगक्षेमम वहाम्यहम इति भगवत वचनात नेता द वन हु हैज द कैपेसिटी टू लीड हाउ शुड अ लीडर बी अ लीडर इज द वन हु कैन इंस्पायर पीपल अराउंड फॉर अ ग्रेटर गुड the one who can bring in that inspirational attitude in anybody who is around such one is called a leader the first quality of it and he is called a leader who leads by an example as we put it in here we say that the one who is not talk the talk but walk the talk i read a very beautiful uh, statement don't be a sage on the stage but be a guide on the side don't be a sage on a stage but be a guide on the side somebody who is willing to inspire and guide by setting themselves as an example lead them by the example meaning you be in the forefront and lead them in the olden days the king was the neta and what was his or her responsibility as a leader it was his responsibility to lead from the forefront in today's world the leaders stay in bunkers and send their people to fight for them now if you have to lead that army you have to lead it by being in the forefront and lead them by 
example and also yoga kshema vahan vahanadi be able to protect and also guide them for a higher state of existence and that's a very beautiful aspect of a leader if you lead them to an existing state wherein uh, existential state wherein they are falling lower than what they are then such one is not a leader but you lead them to a position wherein they can enjoy both peace and happiness in a more substantial manner in a more sustained manner such one is a leader who not just talks but leads who not just leads but also protects the one who he is leading and not just protects but also guides them to attain that peace and bliss which the one is enjoying himself so that the entire group that he is leading such one is called a leader and paramatma he has created this creation and everybody invariably whatever walk of life wherever we are positioned geographically whatever we are doing in our life aren't we searching for these two facets in our life irrespective of what we are doing only two things that we are searching peace within and sustained happiness or you see the question in a another format we have not put any effort consciously to be not happy to be miserable have you ever put an effort consciously i have been a sanyasi for 20 years and in these 20 years i have yet to come across a person who can say swami ji pray for me why i am putting this you know effort so that i can be miserable now we are there already effortlessly we don't need to put an effort to be miserable we have to put an effort to get out of miseries so yoga kshema and the lord says sarva dharman parityadya mam ekam sharanam vaja aham twa sarva papebhyo mokshayishyami masucha he says that you are yoga and kshema both i will take care kshema to protect yoga to procure in the entire life we have been doing that that very thing in anticipation of happiness we procure lot of things it will give us some temporary joy just so that that which we are enjoying at that moment is not snatched away from us what do we do we protect that which we own yoga 
to procure, kshema to secure. All the wealth that we have, where is it? In a true Texan way, in the bank. Why is it in the bank? The first time I came here 10 years ago, it was a new concept. When I saw people's wallet, they were very thin. So my question was, don't you carry cash? So, no, it is not safe. So what do you carry? I carry plastic. So that was the first lesson that I learnt. That there is no paper, it's only plastic. So after a few days, I went to a grocery store. And lady at that counter, after she had checked all my things and billed, she looked at me and uh, I was still getting acquainted with the uh, English and the speed with which it was spoken here, the accent being different coming from India. So she said, paper or plastic? So I said, come again. That paper or plastic? So I brought, I bought out, you know, I have plastic because I was told plastic is otherwise the card. You call it plastic. And I said, paper also, I have currency also, cash. So she looked at me. A very loving lady at that counter. She said, are you new in this country, young man? I said, yes. What I meant by paper and plastic was that it was a bag that I have to put these things in. Is it paper or plastic? Most of us have just the plastic cards. Where is our money? It is in bank, in secured place. We want that security, kshema. And there are various methods and means that we employ so that we get what we are anticipating. Now here is the leader, the neta, the one who leads us with both promises. What are the promises? That I will deliver you from misery. Dukkha nivritti. What will it give? It will give you peace of mind. Aren't we searching for that? Peace of mind. And what is the second thing? I will give you yoga. Yoga? Yoga also means oneness. Today, yoga has become a very uh, uh, inward and we understand yoga as the mode of exercises. There is a deeper meaning to yoga. One of the methods is to find that oneness through these exercises. By exercises, one of the steps in it. So, when we say yoga, Yoga means oneness with 
that blissful nature, that immense satisfaction and happiness within. And not only that, he says that I will get you that, I will make sure that you reach to that point, but also tell you how to protect yourself so that this yoga and kshema cannot be destroyed. The one who is happy, imagine how much productive that person can be in this world. How much more can be achieved when you are at peace? First things first, when you are at peace. You are not contributing to the existing negative vibrations or negative tendencies into the world. First benefit. The second benefit is, the one who is at peace can alone give peace to others. Because we can give only that which we have. Can you give something which you don't own? That is why the scriptures say, Andhe naivani yamana yathandhaha. Blind leading the blind. It will be a disaster. I myself am in search of peace. How can I give it to others? I myself am search for, in search for happiness. How can I promise that happiness to others? Here when he is called Neta, he says that he promises to deliver both peace and happiness and how to secure it so that you can be productive in your individual spaces. And that would be an amazing service to the entire humanity. Sometimes when people read (coughs) that Hinduism talks about moksha, moksha meaning liberation. And then Sometimes when I am on the interfaith platforms, that is the most selfish thing to do. Because you are focusing only on yourself. Yeah, it's a one way to look at it. But the other way to look at it is, you can only give that what you have and you can give maximum when you yourself are not in search of happiness because you are already happy. Then the question comes, if I am already happy, why would I work? Because today I am working only for happiness. If I am already happy, why would I put effort to work? For this question, I have a counter question. Have you ever seen somebody who is happy who is in a remote corner sitting? What are you doing? Why are you like that? I'm happy. Do you ever find anybody that way? Even that fleeting moments of joy that you have, that you come across, when you have the maximum moment of joy, what do you do? Don't you go out there and share your moment of happiness with everybody that you care for? Don't you celebrate? Now, such person who has this happiness already within, 
their every moment of expression would be a celebration in action. Because there is no hidden agenda that I am doing this so that I have to get something back from you or from the world. But this is done so that that happiness which I have, I want you also to share with it. Because not that I am going to lose it, I am going to gain more of happiness when I share that happiness with you. Such one who leads by example is called a neta. Yogo, yoga vidam, neta. How can he do this? How can he lead? He Pradhana Purushaha. <clears throat> he is also called Pradhana Purusha. What does Pradhana Purusha mean? Pradhanam Prakritihi Maya. Pradhanam means, there are two other words that it, we recognize it by. Pradhanam means Prakriti. Prakriti, nature. Or Maya. Purushaha, Jeevaha. The entire creation, last time also we saw this concept. The entire creation as seen in the Hindu scriptures is not that the world was created in stages. And whenever in Hinduism we talk about creation, it is not to prove the existence. And once we go into that loop, then we will be trying to uh, ascertain. So, when you say that this world was created, when was it created? There is another concept we will come across in few other shlokas. When comes into picture, when it is with regards to time. Kala. But the Lord is the one who has created time. The one who has created time, can he be timed? And both time and space are interchangeable. Don't we calculate space with respect to time? From here to Irving Mall. So, how far is it? Oh, it will just take about 5 minutes. Though you are talking about space, but what are you representing, qualifying it with? With time. Time is again nothing but a interchanging variable of space. From moment 1 to moment 2, the movement, that which is calculated in, is time. So, the entire creation is a modification of time and space. So, that one who is created time, can he be timed? Can he be clocked? And probably, I don't know the reason, but probably, that is why the smallest uh, accountable time that we have on our watch and everywhere, what is it called? A second. 
because the first is the Lord who cannot be timed. After him came the time, therefore it is called second. And then it is the multiples of second. I mean, I may be playing with words here, but as I said, that is my way of defining second. The Lord is somebody who is beyond the creation. So, when in Hindu scriptures we talk about creation, it is not to prove the creation, but it is to prove the essence of creation. And the essence of creation being the Lord himself. The first concept about creation. The second concept of creation is that the entire universe has not been created in sequence, but it is an expression of the Lord in various forms. Therefore, even if you take it as a hypothesis, hypothetically, if you take that the entire creation is expression of the Lord, then immediately we, our question is, then why do we see if God is supposed to be divine? And this world is his expression. We see both good and bad. How can God who has expressed himself can be both good and bad? And I can understand a concept wherein God is good. But I see bad also in this world. I see negativity is also in this world. How can that be God? There, our Hindu scriptures, they talk about the goodness and badness is not in the world, but it is in the perception of the individual. In its absoluteness, is there anything that we can define as absolutely good or absolutely bad? In our day-to-day interactions. Now there is a lot of uh, lobbying. For guns, against guns. Right? It's a hot topic now. Because there have been a lot of shooting the innocent. Uh, Who was it who was shot in Arizona? There was a... Senator? Yeah. A senator was shot and there was no movement. After that, there was such rampant killing. You know, there is a talk about for guns or against guns. My question is, when you look at it from the guns standpoint, is gun good or is gun bad? As an object, Does it carry goodness or badness in it? The goodness and badness of it comes into picture depending on who is carrying it. The thing as such is neither good nor bad. It is the intention of the one who is carrying it. Now, cops also have guns. Don't they have? 
they are supposed to be under oath of protection. They should be protecting us. Supposed to. Because in California recently there was this one guy who went bizarre. They're supposed to be protecting. And in such able hands, it is a blessing. But in somebody's hands who doesn't have a, a solid upstairs, who has gone cuckoo up there, and whether it is in a theatre, whether it is in the school, whether it is out of rage, it becomes a curse. As a vastu, it doesn't have goodness or badness in it. It is the intention of the person which makes it good or bad. Knife, is it good or bad? It is neither. Knife is neither good nor bad. It depends on who is using it, in what circumstances it is being used. In a good doctor's hands, underlining the word good, there have been mishaps even with them. Yeah. In a good doctor's hands, it is called a uh, scalpel. Right? It becomes a good tool for surgery. In the hands of a good cook, a chef, it's a good tool. In the hands of the mother who is cooking for the family, it's a good tool. The same mother when she takes the role of a wife and the wife is really ticked off. The same tool can be dangerous. So as a gun, as a knife, there is nothing good or bad to it. It is to the intention that is good and bad. So with that perspective, there is no thing, there is no circumstance, there is no place which can be absolutely good or absolutely bad. And moving forward in the same logic, talking about goodness and badness, what is good for me today need not be good for me in the next moment. To myself in my own application, goodness and badness keeps changing. What is good to me need not be good to you. What is bad for you need not be good I mean, need not be bad for me. Let me take an example to make it clear. For me, sweets and candies are good. I am just taking it as an example. I am not a sweet person. Okay, let me take my own example. I love spicy things. I love spicy things. I feel you know, it's good. You know, the monks that we are, sannyasis that we are, I think I'm the, one or two of us are the only ones who eat really spicy. The rest of them eat bland food. So if on the same table, We are all sitting together to have food. 
the food meant for them, the bland one, comes to me. Nothing happens. I may not like the taste of it, I will just gulp it down. But imagine, that food which was meant for me, goes to them. They will start changing colors. First they will become little pink. Then they will become red. They will start profusely sweating. For me it is good, for them it is not. Sweets for me may be good. But for a diabetic, it's not good. So the goodness and badness is not in the vastu. It is in the one who is interacting it in their intentions. The goodness and badness comes into picture. With that regard, the entire world which is the expression and expansion of the Lord. So the entire pradhana, pradhana the nature or maya which is his shakti and all the beings, you, me and everybody, every form, every being, every creature is an expression of that Lord alone. So when we say realization or mukti, what do we mean? Identifying that aspect of one's own inner divinity. And because Paramatma has become nature, Paramatma has become you and me, therefore, where does he guide us from? As a leader, as a neta, from within. Now, at a very superficial level, when we are doing something wrong, when we are doing something unrighteous, when we are doing something bad, don't we know internally that we are doing something bad? Do the cops, do the laws, do they have to tell us that we are doing something wrong? Don't we really know from inside that we are doing something wrong? Isn't there something speaking from within? Telling us, guiding us, hey, do not do this. Doesn't something speak from within? That who guides from within being the self of the person, the individual. That who is one with both the nature and the beings. Pradhana Purushaha. Therefore, in our um, culture and custom, in our tradition, whoever be the individual that comes across, the first thing we do is, we say, Namaste. Why do we say Namaste? And one, again, superficial meaning of it is, greetings to you. But what is the depth in that meaning? Namaha te. It's actually two words. Te unto you that divine within. My salutations and humble prostrations. I am bringing myself together in offering my salutations unto you. Unto that divinity within you. Now it is the same perspective that in our tradition we seem to be worshipping Trees, mountains, 
various forms, various beings on the altar of sacred worship. It is not from the primitive sense of existence that because they were scared of the rivers, they started worshipping. Because they were scared of the humongous mountains, they started worshipping. But it is the expression of the Lord or the extension of the Lord to invoke the Lord even in the trees, even in the rivers, even in the mountains. I would say it requires a subtlety of perception to find that divinity in and through all beings and the entire creation. Therefore, he is called Pradhana Purushaha. <clears throat> Yogo Yoga Vidam Neta Pradhana Purushaha. Ishwaraha Cha. <clears throat> he is also the Ishwara. Pradhana Purusheshwara. He is also both the Pradhana Purusha and the Lord who is expressing as both the nature and the beings in this nature. Pradhana Purusheshwaraha. Nara Simhava Pushriman Keshava Purushottamaha. Nara Simha. Nara Simha literally means half the body was in is in a human form, the other half of the head is in the form of a Simha. This goes to the legendary story of Prahlada. There is a beautiful chapter, beautiful canto section in Bhagavatam, the seventh canto of Bhagavatam. It is Prahlada Charita. There were these two brothers, Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakashipu. <clears throat> when I start analyzing their personality, it almost feels that they were highly capitalist in their pursuit. That's why their names were also thus. Hiranyaksha. Hiranya means wealth or gold. Aksha, eyes. The one who had eyes for wealth everywhere. And he found that the earth was a right platform for minting wealth. And he started depleting the natural resources to gain more and more wealth. Such a state that the earth had gone down to a real low state of existence. It had, earth had fallen almost to the lower worlds, to Patala. Then Bhagwan came in the form of Sukara, in the wild boar, to redeem the earth of this Hiranyaksha. To, to bring this earth back into its natural balance and ecological thriving system. But there was the other brother. He was much wilder than the younger one. He not only had his eyes on wealth, but he, when the first one was only aggrandizing. He wanted to have everything for himself. He didn't have time or patience to enjoy it. This fellow grabbed everything and also was keen on indulging everything for himself. Hiranya Kashipu, the one who wanted to indulge in all this riches. 
So he had a boon. He had a boon from Brahmaji. A very peculiar one. <clears throat> the first boon that he had asked was, Lord give me the boon to be immortal. So the Lord said, that divinity within you is already immortal. He said, no, no. I want to be immortal through this body. Let me be immortal through this body. Let me live forever in this body. Lord said, this is against nature. I cannot grant you that wish. Hiranyakashipu knew. He had come with a plan B. They said, okay, if you can't give me that first boon, so let me ask you, seek from you a set of boons together, set of clauses together. So he thought with these different clauses he could cover everything. So he said, let me not die during day nor night. Daytime, I should not be killed. Night, I should not be killed. So the Lord thought for a while. He was like a CPA, trying to find a loophole in the clause. He found it. He said, okay, granted. I should not die inside nor outside. In Hiranyakashipu's mind, he was ticking you know, all the various clauses. Either you can die inside or outside. So let me be granted that I will not killed either inside nor outside. Nor day, nor night, nor inside, nor outside. Neither by a human being, nor by an animal. Nor by an astra, nor a shastra. Astra is a missile, a shastra is like a knife or a dagger, which you hold in the hand and attack. So he took care of both kinds of uh, destructive instruments. And he went through various clauses. The Lord looked at each clause and he said, there is a flaw. We can grant him this. And he started granting him one after the other. So he now got convinced that he is invincible. And he started plundering around. See, when you have strength and you have a good guiding intellect to guide that strength... Then you are an amazing power of resource to the entire humanity. You have a lot of strength but you don't have that intelligence to guide it. You can run havoc in this world. That was Hiranyakashipu. So he was plundering around the entire worlds. So his son... Though he was born in that environment, he was a great devotee of Lord Vishnu. That Vishnu which Hiranyakashipu was searching for because he had killed his brother. He was seeking vengeance. And his son turned out to be somebody who was you know, mainly devoted only to that prime enemy of this Hiranyakashipu. It comes to a point wherein he tortured his son. A traumatic childhood Prahlada had. In today's world. In today's terminologies. 
abusive father and he had abused him in every which way he tried to kill him but he somehow got you know escaped every single time so finally frustrated he asked where is your this lord and in his answer to that threat to his son finally comes the lord and what is the form that he take he takes a form wherein he, his boon was that he should not be killed by either a human being nor by an animal so he had a cross section half of his body was human the other half was animal he waited for that time period wherein it was neither day nor night so it was the sunset dusk he took him to the threshold of the house or the palace so it was neither inside nor outside his other boon was i shouldn't be killed either up or down so he put him on the lap so i call hiranyakashipu the first laptop he was literally on the top of the lap and he was killed by the bare hands which was neither astra nor shastra narasimha vapuhu the one who came in the form of narasimha bhagwan and one thing very beautiful about that story is he comes to prahlada and he hugs that prahlada and he says dear child kshantavyo me paradha yadi me kshana vilambah he prahlada forgive me because i was late in coming to come and protect you the lord of the universe he comes down to his devotee and he says please forgive me that i have been late in delivering justice to you that to how many kshana vilambah by few moments i was delayed please forgive me such compassionate lord who comes down so it is not just a mere promise that he is a neta it is not a mere promise that he is pradhana purusheshwaraha he comes to deliver and he comes in various forms so when our own kids here ask how can he come in a animal form my counter question to them people say that so why do you ask questions when we ask questions so i tell them do i so these kids ask you know why why is it that how can the lord be you know coming in a animal form consider it this way that the entire universe is his creation like he is a movie director 
Now, when you are the movie director and the producer, you are the wealth behind that production. Is there anybody to stop that director to appear in his own movie? Is there anything to stop that director to appear in his own movie in whichever form that they want to come in? There is nothing that stops them. If the Lord has created this universe and this beautiful multivarious beings, what is there wrong for him to express in a form which is half human and half animal? Here especially it is a simha lion. Nara simha vapuhu. Shriman. Shriman. Yasya vakshasi nityam vasati shrihi saha shriman. And this should answer the other question about our gods and goddesses. One of the questions that we often are asked, why is it that in Hinduism we have one God and multiple consorts? Wherein as human beings as in Hinduism we are prescribed, what is called monogamy, right? Whereas gods, you know, they have multiple wives, multiple consorts. So when... Our own people ask me this question. I have a funny answer. The funny answer is, you can't handle more than one. Even with one, it is such a... I mean, I being a celibate, I don't even know that. That's a funny answer. The other aspect of it is, Sri Maan. Yasya Vakshasi Nityam Vasati Shrihi. All these consorts are to be understood not like a wife and a husband, but from a totally different standpoint. Let me explain the standpoint. Each one of us has got various strengths. Some of us can paint, some of us can program, some of us can cook, some of us can eat. Eating is also skill to relish and enjoy eating what has been cooked. That's also an art. So we have various skills. So when I ask each one of you, do you have only one skill or do you have multiple skill sets? We definitely have multiple skill sets. We have a huge potentiality for various skill sets. These skills, aren't they our Shakti, ability? Like for this moment, my ability to speak is my skill. I express through my speech. But am I dependent on my speech? Meaning, 
can i exist independent of my speech if i wanted to withdraw from speaking do i stop being existing or my existence suddenly vanishes or do i vanish when i stop speaking no i can withdraw my skill i can withdraw my skill uh, strengths and it doesn't impact the existence but if i have to express i express through my skill sets similarly for the entire creation brahma in order to create what is the skill that they require I mean, if you have to create something what is the skill that you require what is the strength what is the shakti that you require you require huge database to create something knowledge and the very form of knowledge is saraswati devi in order to maintain something what do you require a huge firm a huge institution a huge something that has been created your house in order to maintain it what do you require lot of resources you need somebody to come and clean you need somebody to come and repair you need some so you need to know all these various people and the contacts and the resourcefulness so for the lord as the, the in charge of maintenance what does he require he requires the strength of resources therefore his consort is called lakshmi who is the very embodiment of resourcefulness and though we understand lakshmi as wealth wealth is one aspect of resource so in the ashtalakshmi we have dhanalakshmi dhanya lakshmi saubhagya lakshmi santana lakshmi various forms of resources so that the entire creation can be sustained so when he is called shriman shri is another name of lakshmi ji shriman the one whose strength is lakshmi the one whose very uh, core of strength is lakshmi such one is bhagwan vishnu narasimha vapu shriman keshavah keshavah he is also very adorably magnificent to look at and one of the most beautiful aspects of his being yasya keshaha abhirupah who has beautiful long dark curly hair such one is called keshava the other meaning of keshava is ka a and e in that word represent all three brahma vishnu maheshwara and the one the narayana who expresses as brahma vishnu maheshwara therefore he is known as keshava so again there is another beautiful concept explained here let me take a moment to explain that there is one supreme being 
called God, Paramatma. That Paramatma, when he is the creator, as the creator, he is recognized as Brahma. When the same Paramatma takes charge of maintenance, he becomes Vishnu. And when he has to morph this entire creation, he is called Shiva. Though in English translations we find Shiva as the Lord of Destruction. We have a very destructive meaning for the word, therefore I call him as the Lord of Recycling. Because neither material nor energy can be destroyed. It can only be morphed. It can change different forms. So he changes. He brings in that change. How can the same Lord be the creator, the maintenance and the destruction? It's a very simple example to understand. You as an individual... When you are in front of your wife, what do you become? Husband. When you are with your parents, what do you become? A child. When you are with your siblings, say when you are with your brother, what do you become? A brother. When you are with your sister, you become a brother. When you are with your child, what do you become? A father or a mother. You are the only one. But with respect to what relationship that you interact with, that relationship is invoked in you. When you are in front of your child, you become the father. The fatherness is invoked. When you are with your father. You become a child. The childness in you is invoked. When you are with your wife. So, I was asking this in a congregation and there was this very elderly gentleman. He was smiling to himself. I said, what is so amusing? I caught, I mean that caught my attention. I just asked him out. What is so amusing? I said, you asked a very personal question. I said, what was that? He said, when you are with your wife, what do you become? He said, that amused me. I said, what was the thing that amused? He said, when I am with my wife, I become miserable. Okay. That miserableness is called husband. <laughs> Though you are one, don't you become that many? Supporting these many roles? Though you support these many roles and become that many roles, do you really become that many? Similarly, there is one Lord who expresses with relation to the creation, he is recognized as creator. With respect to the maintenance of that creation, he is called Vishnu, Brahma Vishnu. To bring in a change in this universe, he is called Maheshwara or Shiva. And the one who is expressing us all these three, that Paramatma, therefore he is called Keshava. 
another meaning of word keshava is yasmatvaye tvayesha dushtatma hataha keshi janardana vishnu purana says that a, a demon a rakshasa named keshi was killed by bhagwan krishna therefore his name was keshava the slayer of the demon called keshi so i gave you three different meanings the first meaning was the one who has curly long beautiful hair the second meaning is the one who is expressing as the creator sustenance and the recycling i don't like the word destruction and third one the one who slays the demon called keshi therefore called keshava narasimha va pushriman keshava purushottamaha in bhagavad gita there is this in the 15th chapter yasmat kshramati toham aksharadapichottamaha atosmi loke vedecha prathita purushottamaha so there is the definition of purushottama comes in purushanam uttamaha purushottamaha iti of all the beings that which is the most sacred the most divine the one which does not lose its divinity in spite of being in various circumstances it's like the lotus where does the lotus grow in murky dirty waters but the beauty of this lotus is unlike us it does not complain you know why have you become like this i want to be clean but in the environment that i am in it has conditioned to become me to become what i am otherwise i am a very balanced person the conditions force me to become angry the conditions force me to become emotional the lotus is therefore taken as a representative of purity where does it grow in murky dirty waters never complaining you know i am i have given no scope to grow in these dirty waters in spite of growing in dirty waters taking all its sustenance from those dirty waters it filters out and pulls out the best to bloom forth as a, a lotus have you ever smelled a lotus it has got such an amazing beautiful fragrance it's not at all overpowering it's a very subtle fragrance amazing fragrance that it has in spite of growing in such dirty waters it brings out such subtle beautiful fragrance and its nectar is supposed to be the most sweetest nectar that's why all the bumblebees and bees go settle in it and the third part is by mistake even if that dirt falls on the leaf or somewhere on the lotus a little breeze and the entire dirt gets 
washed away. It doesn't get contaminated or touched by. Have you ever played with water on the lotus leaf? It almost looks like mercury. Because it doesn't get, it doesn't touch the surface. Though it stays in that environment, it stays untouched and yet bring out the best in it. Such pure one is Purushottama, the Lord Paramatma himself. So in today's sloka we saw, Yogo Yoga Vidam Neta Pradhana Purusheshwaraha Narasimhava Pushriman Keshava Purushottamaha Tomorrow we will continue with Sarva Sarva Shivasthanu. Om Purnamadaha Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vasishyate Om Shant Shant Shantihi Harihi Om Shri Gurubhyo Namaha Harihi Om